fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Scrattitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex so wild I might hit the rep We got the winner circle segments and the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude, so just kick back Grab a brew, it's fight night, so you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scrattitude, yeah Scrap, 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 yeah Howdy, y'all. What's going on? You are listening to Tim Talk, the podcast that combines three key perspectives to help you win your UFC wagers. Those three perspectives are as follows. An aggregate of the odds makers. A look at the numbers courtesy of the Scraptitude Analytics database. And of course, that of myself, Timothy Lewis, taking you coast to coast doing the most, and I want to thank you very much for tuning in. In this podcast, I'm going to give you what I believe to be probabilistically the most likely outcome, and I bet all of my advice, so you don't have to worry about that. But my paramount goal for this podcast is to empower you, listeners to Tim Talk, with the best base of information possible to make the most informed bets come fight night. Now, as is customary for these Tim Talk podcasts, I'm going to review the results from the previous Tim Talk, that of Tim Talk 283 for UFC 283. Overall, it was a good night. Our only miss was on that Johnny Walker-Paul Craig fight. We nailed the other five and even hit my first ever parlay of the podcast, a new initiative where I give listeners... A parlay to ride along with myself. Stay tuned for the newest parlay of the pod coming at the end of this episode. The other five winners we called include Jamal Hill, Brand Moreno, Gilbert Burns, Jessica Andrade, and Tiago Moises. All favorites, admittedly. But hey, if it hits, it hits. Our goal is to pick winners here. Odds makers got it right, but we got it right too. In addition to that, some of the fights that took place on the parlay of the pod were not included in those analyzed, so we did very, very well. My favorite theme of UFC 283 and Tim Talk 283 was how we adhered to our steadfast principles, how they gleaned light on fights with close betting odds and gave us an additional layer of confidence, namely in the Brand Moreno versus Davison Figueredo fight, and the Jamal Hill versus 43-year-old Glover Teixeira bout. This time around, however, I will not be covering as many fights. The card is lean, and really only two bouts intrigue me that also hit the benchmarks necessary to analyze the fights. The odds makers, the data, that's the big one. That's the one that needs a sample size from both fighters, as well as my own perspective, familiarity with the film, career arcs, history, news, etc. So for Tim Talk 284, I'm only going to be covering the co-main and main event. But they are standout fights. They are great bouts, and I'm extremely excited to dig into them. And as I said, stick around. Parlay of the pod coming up afterward. Yo, yeah. The co-main event of the evening is headlined by Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett vying for the interim featherweight title 
in light of Alexander Volkanovsky's move up to 155 pounds to challenge Islam Makachev in the main event of the evening. Currently, Yair Rodriguez is a minus 189 aggregate favorite to the plus 154 of Josh Emmett. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 66.4% implied likelihood of victory for Rodriguez to the 39.4% implied likelihood of Emmett. With this opportunity, Josh Emmett is finally getting his due. He's won 18 of his 20 career fights for a 90% career win rate. He is an explosive athlete with terrifyingly heavy hands, as evidenced by his 1.77% knockdown rate. That is 1.77 knockdowns for every 100 significant strikes landed. That is a very high number regardless of the weight class. Josh Emmett is a dangerous man. Yair Rodriguez has been somewhat perplexing throughout his career. He had a two-year break between 2019 and 2021 when he returned to take on Max Holloway, surprising everyone with a highly competitive showing. He then took on Brian Ortega in what promised to be a beautiful display of violence until Ortega ripped his shoulder out of its socket in the first round. But up until that point, the faster, quicker, and more dynamic striking of Yair Rodriguez was running circles around Ortega. For me, there are a couple interesting data points that highlight these guys standing not just against one another, but in terms of the sport as a whole. First of all, for two contenders fighting for an interim belt, their opponent win percentage isn't that high, with Rodriguez slotting in at 71% and a lowly 66% for Josh Emmett which isn't expected for a veteran who's been around and fighting presumably high competition throughout that duration. Furthermore, we think of both of these guys as dangerous strikers. But what if I told you that they both have sub-50% knockout rates? That's right. Josh Emmett, 33%, despite numerous knockdowns against multiple opponents. And Yair Rodriguez, slotting in at 36%. So weirdly, these guys are both less dangerous and have fought worse competition than at least I expected coming into this bout. Interestingly enough, they have the same number of UFC fights at 11, and each have won nine of those bouts for an 82% win rate. For me, the differentiating factor here is age. Yair Rodriguez is smack dab in the middle of his prime, riding that age apex like a brilliant stallion at 30 years old, compared to the 37, going on 38, turning 38 in early March, Josh Emmett. In his return from an ACL tear incurred against Shane Burgos, we've seen Emmett roll off two straight victories against Dan Ige and Calvin Cater. Both of these bouts were very close, and Josh Emmett has his grit and motor to thank in what were some narrow rounds that could have gone either way. Right now, we could be looking at Calvin Cater taking on Yair Rodriguez. What my eyes tell me is that Josh Emmett still merits a lot of respect from his opponents. They have to respect that power, but he's not quite the same guy that we saw four or five years ago. Now, that might have been okay or at least serviceable against Cater and Ige, two guys who aren't particularly quick or explosive and who will spend the majority of fights in boxing range. But that isn't going to be the case against Yair Rodriguez, who is a dynamic, a potent kicker, 
and will be happy to exercise the fight at that range. Traditionally, the counter for this has been taking Yair Rodriguez down. He's always struggled with his wrestling. Back when Frankie Edgar took him to school, and even Max Holloway mixed in some takedowns. But what we have here with Josh Emmett, who generally needs big movements, big explosive actions to get into range against his opponents, being just five foot six, he only lands .35 takedowns per round. It's unlikely that we see in this five-round fight from an older and athletically declining Josh Emmett that he's able to lean on this tool in order to mitigate the kicking game of Yair Rodriguez. Now, both these guys are highly durable. Rodriguez with a 11.7% loss by finish rate and Josh Emmett with a 5% loss by finish rate. Their chins have stood the test of time. Should this remain a striking affair like I expect, Yair Rodriguez will give Josh Emmett fits with his speed, with his in-and-out motion, with his strike selection. And Josh Emmett, just like Glover Teixeira last week, will try to bridge the gaps for his declining ability with toughness, with perseverance. And therefore, I think that he makes it through the duration. I have Yair Rodriguez taking this one via decision. Yo, yeah. The second and final fight we will be covering is for the UFC lightweight title. That is Islam Makachev defending his throne against 145-pound champion Alexander Volkanovsky. Currently, Islam Makachev sits at a aggregate favorite of minus 399 to the underdog plus 293 Alexander Volkanovsky. In terms of percentages, that converts to an 80% implied likelihood of victory for Makachev to the 25.2% implied likelihood for Volkanovsky. While these men have taken different paths in different weight classes with different styles, there is a remarkable similarity in their success rate. Makachev has 24 career fights, losing just one, while Alexander Volkanovsky has 25 career fights, also losing just one. Somebody's one has got to go. Now, this is a tough fight to break down for a number of reasons. We have two elite fighters from two different weight classes, so we have no idea how Alexander Volkanovsky will adapt to 155 pounds. Yes, he has fought there previously, but his last time was in his first UFC bout against an opponent nowhere near the level, the level of Islam Makachev. However, in that time spent at 145 pounds, Volkanovsky has etched his name in stone as a UFC and mixed martial arts all-time great. He has cleared out his division in a way nobody else has in recent memory. Beyond that, there are few fighters in the history of the sport who have the one weight class dominance of Alexander Volkanovsky. Another attribute that's hard to pin down is the stylistic matchup here. Volkanovsky is going to be the most athletic, the quickest competitor that Islam Makachev has fought. Alternatively, Makachev will be the best grappler by a wide margin that Volkanovsky has competed against. And interestingly, Volkanovsky has faced very few dominant grapplers in his rise throughout the 145-pound division. So not only do we have to factor in the higher weight for Volkanovsky, we also have to figure out a way to account for this unprecedented stylistic challenge. A wrinkle here that is fascinating to me is that 
Alexander Volkanovsky is one of the premier volume strikers, one of the premier strike tally accumulators in the entire organization. He outlands opponents by 16.3 significant strikes per round. That's nuts. Meanwhile, you have Islam Makachev, who absorbs under five significant strikes per round. That is a massive disparity in the approach and the statistical profile of these two men. My issue with Volkanovsky taking this fight is I don't believe he took the necessary time to build his body back for 155 pounds. That preparation would matter a lot, especially if, should he win, he expects to have a continued run at this weight class. Be that as as it may, his athletic attributes and overall style aren't unheard of in this 155-pound division. I'd like to remind you all of Frankie Edgar, who relied a lot upon footwork, his quick hands, and his timely entries to dethrone BJ Penn and rule atop the lightweight division. This wouldn't be the first time I've called Volkanovsky a supercharged Frankie Edgar. And Frankie Edgar, much like Alexander Volkanovsky, won many of his bouts by hard-fought decision. Volk does not possess the nuclear option that's really going to act as an equalizer here with just 48% of his wins coming by knockout and only two TKOs in his last eight fights, two finishes overall in that period. Personally, I have a hard time seeing Alexander Volkanovsky managing to sprawl and brawl his way to a decision victory here. Makachev is too good of a wrestler, landing 1.07 takedowns per round. And he's also a man from the weight class above, so he's going to test the power of Volkanovsky should he be able to land with his own durability. While I've criticized Makachev previously for being chinny, it stands true that he's only lost 4% of his fights by finish, one loss in his entire career, one out of 24 contests. To win this bout, Volkanovsky is going to have to scramble his ass off and perhaps catch an overconfident Makachev as he enters the pocket. I'm not the kind of guy to count out Alexander Volkanovsky. I believe that's foolish with all he's accomplished and who he's accomplished against. I think he can give Makachev a tough fight, and I'm not keen on Islam Makachev at minus 400. All of that said, Volkanovsky might be a dog, but Makachev is the man with the leash. Nobody has solved this Dagestani grappling meta, and it's hard to believe that a smaller man in his first true test against a dominant offensive grappler, who was taken down by the likes of Brian Ortega, is the one to dethrone Islam Makachev. So I'm going with Makachev by decision. Lock it in. Yo, yeah. That about does it for Tim Talk 284, but before we get out of here, I have to hit you with this four-leg parlay. So I'm taking Melsic Bogdasarian, Jack Della Maddalena, Yair Rodriguez, and Islam Makachev. You can currently lock that in at this minute for plus 398 on DraftKings. However, I got better odds on that a couple days ago. I'd recommend shopping that around a little if you have the ability to do so. I appreciate everybody tuning in. If you enjoyed this program, please take the time to share it with your friends, like-minded people within the community, and also subscribe, rate, and review. means the world to us. Until next time, I hope you all hit your bets. I hope you have a great time on Fight Night. Go Birds!
Woo! Super Bowl, baby.